0: Today's episode is Five Brothers Telling Their Story, and it was recorded on February 20th, 2020. I'm your host, Chad Harrington, and this is the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. The New Canaan Society in Franklin, Tennessee is a group of men who encourage each other in friendship and in faith, and to be better men. Friendship at NCS happens through our meetings and chapters all across the country— The Franklin chapter meets the first and third Thursday morning each month at Puckett's Grocery in downtown Franklin. I want to tell you about an online video series and book study. Barry's going to share about his story. We've all got a story. And those stories are important to tell and for others to hear. And that's what John Mark Hicks teaches and models in his video course and book called Anchors for the Soul, about trusting God through the grief and suffering in life. John Mark lost his wife when he was a young man, then his son who passed at the age of 16 years old. NCS and friends can experience his story online through a free video course. Take a group of guys through the series with you. It's a great way to connect online. And the video course is available, as I mentioned, to NCS and friends for free when you buy the book. So visit himpublications.com NCS to learn more and to sign up for this special offer. That's H-I-M publications.com slash N-C-S. Now for today's episode, which is five brothers sharing their story.
1: Sure hate to break up a good party. Try to keep it going. I think we're learning what a community of life is meant to look like, at least around a table. The New Canaan Society is not really anything formal. When you say the word society after whatever you're doing, it makes it sound like it's a big deal. Uh, a cult, yeah. <laughs> Shut up. No. Uh, and we don't have any any dues. We don't ask you for any money. Uh, we do ask you to uh, live in such a way that your heart becomes more and more alive as you go. And so uh, we are we are working. This the purpose of this group is to help guys who who need a little help with that, help them find um, a community of life and to help to build a community of life around you so that you're equipped to do that for other people. Um, there are so many people who, are, who live in loneliness, who live, um, kind of go through life um, w- without really having a sense of uh, who's got my back, who are my friends, who really cares about me, who understands me. Uh, who sees me, who listens to me. And this group uh, has an incredible opportunity uh, to change that in the lives of so many men. I have this sense that uh, Promise Keepers was right about a lot of things. We laugh uh, sometimes, or I do anyway, about we should have, we should have named that thing Promise Breakers because we're better at that. Uh, but Promise Keepers had this thing right, um, that there are not <clears throat> many fathers among you. And one of their purposes was to help build a, uh, a sense of life and help men understand, hey, we are on a journey to become fathers to those around us, no matter what age we are. And so that's another part of it. Uh, you know, we couldn't find, couldn't find a speaker for this morning, so we got five. <laughs> yeah, that's how it works around here. <clears throat> um, But before we start that, I want to um, say one more thing, and look at the beautiful snow coming. Um, I have, growing up in a small Mennonite church, there would be times, uh, mostly on Wednesday evenings, but then uh, it migrated to Sunday mornings, when you could stand up in the congregation and just say what the Lord was doing for you. What's the Lord doing? Or if you had a prayer request or anything, you could just stand up and do that. Um, recently, because of the work that we do with Centoya Brown, um, I have been um, invited into a lot of conversations in the urban community, and I've noticed something about them. They are much quicker in the urban community to stand up and say, "Let me tell you what the Lord has done for me," than we are in our in our in our white evangelical gatherings. And I want to encourage that. Um, so maybe. Maybe there's a time this morning, you just got to stand on your feet and just say, let me tell you what the Lord is. done. you can do that right where you are. Before we get to our five speakers, and and, uh, Denny has a gong, do we have a big pot with a wooden spoon? Okay, that's good. (coughs) That'll do. Uh, (laughs) That'll be just fine, Denny. We appreciate your big mouth. It's very helpful. Uh, I want to read Psalm 91 from the Message Bible this morning. (coughs) Um, And you will find in this, at least part of your own personal testimony of what God has done for you. You who sit down in the high God's presence, spend the night in Shaddai's shadow. Say this, God, you're my refuge, I trust in you and I'm safe. That's right. He rescues you from hidden traps, shields you from deadly hazards. His huge outstretched arms protect you. Under them, you're perfectly safe. His arms fend off all harm. Fear nothing, not wild wolves in the night, not flying arrows in the day, not disease that prowls through the darkness, not disaster that erupts at high noon. Even though others succumb all around and drop like flies right and left, no harm will even graze you. You'll stand untouched, watch it all from a distance, watch the wicked turn into corpses. Yes, because God's your refuge, the high God, your very own home. Evil can't get close to you. Harm can't get through the door. He ordered his angels to guard you wherever you go. And if you stumble, they will catch you. Their job is to keep you from falling. You'll walk unharmed among lions and snakes and kick young lions and serpents from the path. If you'll hold on to me for dear life, says God, I will get you out of any trouble. I will give you the best of care. If you'll only get to know and trust me, call me and I'll answer. Be at your side in bad times. I'll rescue you. Then throw you a party. I'll give you a long life and give you a long drink of my salvation. Right? Amen. Amen. My testimony is embedded in his deliverance of the of me from the snare of the fowler, from the, what, the noisome pestilence, from the evil that lurks at noonday and from the terror by night. Long stories behind that, which we don't have time to talk about today, but many of you know it. Um, Larry, uh, who is a friend of George Verver, um, uh, added this to the bottom of our, of our little list of speakers today. And he wrote a book, George did, called Messiology. And here's a quote from it, where two or three of God's people are gathered together, sooner or later there's a mess. (laughs) But God works in our messes. God works through His messy people who are morally impure even though He wants us to be holy, arrogant even though He wants us to be humble, doctrinally messy even though He wants us to understand the truth, greedy and selfish even though He wants us to be servants, focused on ourselves even though He wants us to have a ministry of reconciliation. Um, So, this is how we start. I I think we're just going to jump right in so we have enough time, but Wayne Faust, who's a clinical therapist. Wayne, come. Oh, there's a yellow pad. Larry, you want to stand up and give a testimony about a yellow pad? And while the breakfast is almost free, don't forget a nice tip for our wait staff. They're delightful people who come and take care of us so much. And and as we get going here, uh, Rick, who is our wonderful musician who comes to bless us, is available for other work. He comes and does this just as a gift. It's his son, not today. DJ's not his son. Ricky, who's normally our sound man, comes and just volunteers to run sound for us. And we're thankful for these guys. So um, keep them in mind if you need uh, music for a special occasion. Wayne Faust, come here, brother, Uh, has five minutes. Uh, do I need to remind you that? You know, uh, Wayne Faust is a, a clinical psychologist, and um, I'm just gonna let you tell the story. All
2: right, Go well, for it. So much, good morning, <laughs> men of Canaan. Praise God, Amen. and our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we live and have our being. Yes, I'm a clinical psychologist, uh, but that doesn't mean I'm not crazy. <laughs> I tell the woman, the single woman, but it just might be a lunatic you're looking for. <laughs> well, I've been working in clinical psychology for about 30 years, but that's not why I'm here today. I'm here to magnify God and give Him the glory, because He is such a, a an integral part of my life. Um, this buffet kind of reminds me of, of, of a little anecdote I heard about Johnny, uh, little Johnny, come through the. Uh, school buffet line and and he sees at the very front the fruit and there's a big big bowl of apples there with a sign that says only one take only one please God is watching the apples and so he looks at it and he passes on that and as he goes down through the line towards the end there's a big thing of brownies there and he helps himself and stacks them up on his plate to which the girl beside him said, Johnny, what are you doing without taking all those brownies? He says, take all you want. God's watching the apples. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes our view of God, our perception of God is such that it's limited. Johnny's was very limited. And sometimes we limit God. We limit him by saying, oh, he'll, he'll answer you. He'll give you a miracle. But, you know, I'm not deserving of a miracle. You know, our adversary makes us feel guilt and shame and, and condemns us. The Holy Spirit only convicts us and draws us close. Little did I know when my wife and I prayed that God would draw us closer, that we were actually praying for a lot more trials and tribulations, as James said, that that would be the character building thing that we were praying for. Because after 40 years of marriage, my wife called me. I was working at the DeBerry prison and she said, please come over. Uh, and helped me go to the doctors. They said it's very important. And I could hear the trembling in her voice and I knew something was wrong. She was diagnosed with terminal cancer, bowel, duct, liver cancer. I saw many miracles throughout my life. My wife and I were close to God. In Vietnam, he delivered me. Half of my platoon was wiped out twice. I never once feared. I slept, every night I slept through. I was never in fear for my life. I don't know why, but God's Holy Spirit protected me and covered me and made me feel that the providential hand of God followed me, and I knew I was called for a purpose from the very beginning. What purpose, I did not know completely. I thought I was called into the ministry, and then I changed the psychology just to help people. But here's what happened. After 40 years of marriage, my wife passed away. I threw my hands up in despair and said, "God." I, need, I don't know what I need. I need something to move on. I, 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 don't, wanna, I don't even want to live anymore. In deep grief, I was paralyzed. But God answered me in a series of miracles. I only want to share with you a couple of the miracles today so that you can see how real and how important God is working through active and passive miracles to sustain us. And... That night, I said, Lord, help me. Give me at least something. Crumbs from the table, I don't care, but something to help me move on. That night, my God God sent my wife, Wanda, back to visit me. And she was young and healthy, wearing a multicolored robe. And she didn't say anything to me. She just hugged me like a warm blanket all night long. Now, I know, men, you can identify with what I'm getting ready to say. I slept through the night eight hours instead of my normal six hours without getting up at all. I usually get up three or four times a night to use the bathroom drink water. Anybody identify with that? Okay, now you might consider that a miracle by itself because I, I slept through. But man, when I got up, I was so pumped and full of energy that I jumped in my pants both legs at the same time and I ran over to my grief journal, just like I would have my clients, right? I had a grief journal, and I said, Lord, thank you for the miracle. Thank you for giving me something. And I said, the odds aren't that great to an atheist or a fellow psychologist who could explain it away, and I'd reduced the odds to 6,100. And I said, well, anyway, at least I know how real it is. Help me not to complain and whine a week or a month from now, okay? And while I was still saying that, that I have 30 seconds left? Oh, my gosh. <sighs> While I was still writing, help me not to forget how real this is, there's a knock at the door, and a lady from Brentwood comes over, and she says, Wayne, I'm here to tell you that after 30 years of knowing you, I've never dreamed of either one of you, you or Wanda, but last night I dreamed of Wanda, and she was young and healthy, wearing a multicolored robe. And she said to me one thing, Wayne. She said, when you see Wayne, please give him this hug and embraced her. I said, tell me, I said, I don't even need to tell you about what happened to me last night. I said, your dream was a mirror image of what actually I experienced. Wanda did come to me like that. And she said, oh, my God. She said, I quit going to church and said, God, you're not personal. But here it was. He sent Wanda back to help you move on and sent me over here to verify it. I went back and figured up the odds. It was $300 billion to one, the title of a book God told me to write. He said, It'll be a book and it'll be a movie. It took me two years to get through my anger and the grief cycle to even write the book. But after 40 radio interviews and a couple TV interviews and several speaking engagements, people are coming to know Jesus Christ through the miracle worker he is. It's a story of love and hope that defies the odds. All the proceeds go to charity and a scholarship in her name. If you'd like to know more about it, I'm going to leave um, some handouts up here in a book, and I'd be glad to meet you.
1: Thank you, Wayne. Wayne also, um, through his work, helps to fund the Filmmaking School um, scholarships at Lee College. Um, our next brother is Torben Reese Jensen, who, where are you, Torben? There you are, come on up here. Uh, Torben is from Copenhagen and has uh, landed in Nashville, uh, has, has been kind of a rough landing and a good landing all at the same time, tell us. <clears throat>
3: Yes, I'm happy to tell you guys. Yes, so, so I'm I'm from Denmark, so um again I heard the Democrats once again yesterday were trying to debate how much America should look like my country, which is interesting for a small country of 5.7 million people to be that important. Um <laughs> I have heard God speak to me and tell me where to go many many times and It's been exciting. It's taken me all over the world. I've done missions work, leadership work all over the world. Again, I've lived in five different countries and uh, done all sorts of crazy stuff. But I wanted to zero in on a um, slightly more frustrating time that God spoke to me. This took place a little bit more than three years ago. I was working as a missions pastor in Colorado. And uh, it was a good job. Again, I had a boss who was super excited about missions and gave me free reign to do whatever I wanted. Unfortunately, he was replaced by a guy younger than myself who, uh, in a private conversation, uh, told me that that whole global missions thing, that's just not really my thing at all, which of course kind of spelled bad news for the missions pastor. Um, Fast forward some uh, difficult months, and I was just going about my business on a regular Wednesday, and God, He spoke to me and He reminded me of a verse from Isaiah 53 where it says, like a lamb being led to slaughter, he did not open his mouth. I was like, "Uh, "Okay." Um, A few weeks later, it became obvious what that was about and why God wanted to warn me about that. I ended up um, in a in a situation where I had lost my job. I, we had been I had been falsely accused of all sorts of stuff, uh, so that the pastor could get rid of me. Uh, again, I had been uh, blackmailed into uh, silence, and um, we were sitting in, in, in our rented home. Our uh, landlords had also decided to uh, to tell us that they would terminate our rent, so we were facing homelessness. We were without a job. And we had a five-year-old, a two-year-old, and a baby who was eleven days old. Um, so that's where we found ourselves, and we're like, "Okay, God, what do we do?" Uh, in the middle of the night, my wife she uh, woke up with our, our little baby and with with a heart full of frustration, fear, and sadness. And she and, and she heard God speak to her, and this was confirmed uh, in in some different ways over the next next few days that God wanted us to come here to the Nashville area, and we're like. Why? Um, we didn't know a single soul in Tennessee. And, uh, and yet, this is how we live. This is how we lived the entire time that we've known each other. My wife and I were married 15 years this year. Um, God says go, and we go. So uh, we uh, drove across the country from Colorado, packed up our three little kids and ourselves, and uh, drove here to Nashville and um, started exploring. So God, why did you want us to come here? And the first year, um, all again, I, I wasn't able to, to find a job. Again, I started networking from scratch. I started showing up here. I started meeting all sorts of different people in the area. But nothing was working out. God, in spectacular ways, that'll be an interesting chapter in a book someday, slammed every door as far as job opportunity in my face. And, and everything was just continued to fall apart. Um, I ended up uh, in a job uh, that I've had the last 13 months. And this job is also now uh, falling uh, falling apart because again the leadership has decided to move the the um, uh, my job to a different state and uh, and we're now once again faced with this sort of uncertainty in our lives where it's like okay God you told us specifically to come here to this area and you have not made it clear yet why again we have. Uh, gone to all sorts of different countries in the world. We moved to Ukraine because God told us to go there. Again, we moved to a different place in the States because God told us to come come there. Now we're in this place. And I um, met a pastor friend of mine recently, and he told me that, but um, the reality is, again, you're just one butler away from being set free. I'm like, what do you mean, one butler? What are you talking about? Uh, And he reminded me of the story of Joseph, Joseph sitting in prison. And we see, uh, as as the story takes place with Joseph, who is falsely accused, that it says over over and over again, and God was with him. And he sits there in prison. And it's a butler. It's Pharaoh's butler that remembers him. And Joseph is then actually set free into his destiny, into his calling, into using all the abilities and gifts that God had already put in him. And that's where I'm at today. Again, I'm looking for that butler. I'm looking for that one person um, who who may be the one who's going to help put some more pieces to the puzzle of why was it that God wanted us to come here? We're here out of obedience. We're looking forward to seeing how God will continue to, to lead us as we're here.
1: This is one remarkable brother. Get to know him. This, this man has a heart of gold, and I'm, I'm um, pleased to call him friend. Um, and the next person that we're going to hear from today, on this paper it says, your friend, I forget his name. <laughs> These are notes from Larry. Steve Wingfield <clears throat> lives in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Uh, went to Eastern Mennonite College before it was a university and was a roommate with my brother in about 1970 or something around that time, 71. 71. And he called me yesterday, and he was a quarter mile away from my house because his daughter, Michelle, lives up the street. Steve, tell us.
4: Thanks, Wes. It's good to be here, and good morning. Uh, Wes asked me to tell my story, and so I'm the youngest of seven kids. My dad was a United Methodist minister, conservative gospel preacher, and there's 10 years difference between me and my next brother. And by the time I was about eight years of age, all four of my older brothers were either in ministry or away at school preparing for ministry. And it seemed like everywhere I would go, somebody would pat me on the head and say, oh, you're going to be another preacher too. And I look back on it now as an identity crisis, but it came out as rebellion. And I can remember at 12 years of age, literally taking my fist and shaking it in the heavens in Amherst, Virginia, said, you leave me alone. I'm not going to do it. And that uh, was a bad decision. But anyway... Uh, I started running from God never as bad as I could have been the Lord sort of had a holy governor on me but uh, I was not walking with the Lord and uh, I got a scholarship to play football went there and got injured and found out they had classes too and uh, uh, so that didn't work out and I began to job hop I I've drove a tractor trailer for American Tobacco Company uh, I uh, saw an ambulance attendant uh, 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 advertising in the paper for an ambulance driver. I didn't even know how to put a Band-Aid on, but I said, that sounds fun. So I did that for a few years, met a lot of police officers. They asked me to join the police department. Found out I smiled too much. That didn't work out. and I ended up at a nuclear power plant in Lynchburg, Virginia, and God put me in the office with a person in radiation control. I was in industrial safety. He was a committed Christian. I hadn't been to church in a year and a half, and... Um, out of reverence for my family, I, you know, I was not as bad as again as I could have been, but I was in the party scene, and I knew God had called me, but I said I'm not going to do it. Well, in 1970, I went to church on a, I went to work, and my friend said, "What are you doing tonight?" I said, "Nothing," and he said, "Why you to go hear this guy?" I said, "Bill, I'm not going to do that. Forget it." Um, at about 10 o'clock, we took a coffee break. He started in again. You'd really like your speaker. Hey, will you leave me alone? At noon, uh, we went to lunch, and I found out he was hearing impaired. At least he hadn't heard anything I said. And he, he, he started in again, and he said, I want you to go. I, Bill, I'm not going. And I got up and went to another table. Christians are really sneaky. So about 2.30, he came over and apologized. He said, I, I don't want you, anything to happen to our friendship. I said, everything's cool, man. Don't worry about it. He said, Steve, I'm just concerned. I really would like you to go. <laughs> okay, I'll go. I'll meet you. No, I'll come back and pick you up. And he did. And... Uh, I I knew the gospel. I'd heard it many times. But I also said, you know, if I, I just stay cool, and I probably was a wreck, but uh, they started singing just as I am, it was at Thomas Road Baptist Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Theologically, I don't know how you sort this out. I prayed as a kid, I prayed as a young teen, prayed as a senior in high school, responded to an invitation at a Ford Phil Pot crusade. But in 1970, my life was radically changed. I still wasn't gonna go forward, but I saw a young man that my same age that walked down the aisle, used to frequent a lot of the same places I did, and I said that night, if he's got guts enough, do it, so can I. And so I responded, made a decision to follow Christ. But I didn't want to go into the ministry. I knew God had called me. I said, no, I'm not going to do it. But later that year in September, I said, God, I know that you've asked me to do this, and I'll do it. But I'm not telling anybody. This has got to be your deal. So my dad's church was having a revival. So I went there on a Friday night, and I guess there was a the death of something. The guy that was speaking... Uh, had to leave. And the leadership had seen such a change in my life. I said, let's get Steve to preach Saturday night Sunday night. I said, well, they came out and said, would you do that? Yeah. I just said Wednesday night, I'll do it. And now I got this opportunity. I stayed up half the night. was in my dad's office looking at books and trying to put a sermon together. Sunday, Saturday morning, I'm driving around. Lord, I got to speak tonight. What am going to do? Drove over to Lynchburg. Uh, went to Baptist bookstore. You remember albums? Uh, and I saw this album of Billy Graham preaching. And I bought it, went home, listened to side one. I said, that's pretty good. He was preaching on Samson. So I listened to it again and wrote down the outline that night. I preached on Samson using Billy Graham's outline and had 27 first-time decisions. Uh, so Sunday, after, uh, Sunday afternoon, I listened to side two. And <laughs> true story, true story. I told Billy the story. He said, isn't that wonderful? There's power in the Word of God. So that's been going on now for about 48 years and uh, i've had a wonderful time hope i can come back sometime and tell you all about the rest of it but uh, i'd recommend jesus to any of you it's a marvelous life i've had the privilege of preaching the gospel all around the world and see god doing great things right now we're doing nascar races uh showing up in uh places where we honor veterans and share the gospel and god is doing some major things we do about eight races a year uh set up in a campground and i've had the privilege of praying at atlanta praying at bristol and praying at daytona i'm done i've never had this happen in church a hundred thousand people say amen at the end of my prayer hand me another beer some.
1: Steve, Steve Wingfield is a good example of someone living at the intersection of Methodism and Mennonitism where you receive Christ at least a hundred times in your life and then it finally sticks. <laughs> good work, brother. Uh, we, have, we have a brother who's new to our group here, uh, who's been here numerous times, uh, Hank Irwin. Where are you, brother? Hank's uh, sons are involved in uh, filmmaking. He's going to tell us a little bit about that. More than that, he's going to tell us uh, the story of his own life. Come on, brother.
5: Good morning. My name is Hank Irwin, and I'm brand new to this area. Uh, I have a lovely wife named Sheila and two grown sons and seven grandchildren. We all have moved up from Alabama to settle in Franklin because we want to let you know that uh, the Lord is leading our lives to make motion pictures. And I'm sure you've seen a couple of my boys' movies, uh, the great football movie Woodlawn. That was a couple of years ago, and then last year, I can only imagine. Uh, This is a great movie that uh, has now taken Hollywood by storm. And as a result, Lionsgate has cut a deal with my boys to make faith-based motion pictures. And they've decided to bring their studio to Franklin, Tennessee, to make faith-based motion pictures. I want to let you know that the curtain goes up on Franklin, Tennessee, March the 13th. This uh, March the 13th, their next movie comes out called I Still Believe. It is the story of Jeremy Camp. It features Shania Twain, Gary Sinise, KJ Apa. This is a movie they're all talking about in Hollywood. They believe it's gonna be the best movie of the year, so Lionsgate has bought out every major theater in the country, and they've even decided that this movie is so good they're gonna do one thing that has never been done for a Christian motion picture. They're gonna roll it out in IMAX so that you get a chance to see it in a quality never seen before in all of uh, the history of Hollywood for a Christian movie. It's the first step in a number of movies that are gonna be coming out of Franklin. Uh, This movie, starting in March, will be the first one. Coming this Christmas will be the new movie uh, that will tell the story of Kurt Warner, the great football player who went from sacking groceries in a grocery store to becoming an MVP in the Super Bowl. Next year, they'll do a movie called The Jesus Revolution that will feature the great uh, uh, evangelist Greg Laurie on the West Coast. And then they're going to do the first ever Christian musical that's gonna feature the uh, Franklin group for King and Country. That'll come out next Christmas. Four major motion pictures that are all gonna come out of Franklin, Tennessee. And so Franklin is getting ready to become the family faith based movie capital of the world. And we are excited to be here and tell you about it. It all goes back to when Jesus changed my life 50 years ago. I've never been the same since he changed my life, and it's been following him for great adventure after a great adventure, and now we have moved to motion pictures. So we are delighted to be in the neighborhood, and I'm delighted to come and visit with you every Thursday. And I've told the Lord, I said, you know, out of that restaurant at Puckett's, there is enough firepower in that room that if they ever decided to... Put all of their muscle together, they could change the world. So I want to tell you that whatever you guys want to do, I'm all in. And let's go change the world. I'm in. You guys in? All in? All in? All in? All in. in. Thank you, guys.
1: Thank you, Hank. You got a little bit of uh, energy there, man, for an old guy. former state senator of Alabama, all that. Welcome to, welcome to Franklin. I, uh, re- makes me think about uh, my father who always said, my sons and my daughter have all done better than I have and I'm so proud of them and it, uh, you can see it. I think we want our children to, to take it another step. Um, Scott Holverson is here this morning. Uh, you thought Steve Wingfield smiled too much. This guy can't quit smiling. Uh, I'm going to let him tell a story, and then I've got a few comments afterwards. Scott, good to have you here this morning.
6: Wow. Well, thanks, uh, Hank, for letting me follow you, buddy. All right. Hey, my name is Scott Holverson. I just want to really quickly remind something Jesus told his disciples. If anyone should come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. As Christians, we have that opportunity to do that every day. He invites us. Will you follow me? And we get the choice to say yes or maybe or no. Well, after a 28 year, year career in sales, I, I decided to finally say yes to Jesus on something he'd asked me to do. Uh, I basically moved from Sedona, Arizona to Nashville, Tennessee to open up a new office for Johnny Erickson Tata's ministry called Johnny and Friends. And I'm curious, uh, any of you all know who Johnny Erickson Tata is? If you don't know who she is, her story is, is simply phenomenal. She's been saying yes to Jesus, and God has worked through her to change countless lives of families affected by disability. So, uh, you know, I knew of her story, but I didn't know of her ministry until I met a, a good friend of mine in Arizona, Kelly Taylor, who's a quadriplegic for 25 years. He became uh, one of my dearest friends and still is to this day. His wife cares for him 24-7. They are simply the most remarkable couple I know. Their daily struggles are staggering, yet Kelly, in his wheelchair, praises God every day. He truly relies on God moment by moment. Well, he would talk to me about Johnny and Friends, so my wife and I went with them to a fundraiser, and we heard firsthand about this amazing ministry serving families affected by disabilities, not only in the U.S., but worldwide. We became donors. Meanwhile, I had been at my job, same job, for 28 years in advertising sales, living in Sedona. Frankly, I was comfortable and content. Plugged into a good church, doing good things, great family and friends, beautiful weather. I'm a musician. I was in a couple of well-known bands. Life was good. Why would I want to do anything? But I couldn't reconcile the fact that I was so content comfortable. Is that what Jesus has called us to do? Was I, I was picking and choosing what I would deny and what I would follow. So I started praying, Lord, what is it that you would have me do? Well, soon enough, I found a, a, an a opening at Johnny and Friends to open a new Nashville office. And I read the job description. I'm like, well, that has Scott Holverson written all over it. But then I had to like, think, am I willing to really start over to give up this comfort and content and go to a place I don't know anybody and work for a nonprofit that doesn't pay quite what I'm used to making? I had to reconcile that. I had to pray about that. And thankfully, I was offered the job and my wife and I made that decision. We said, yes, Jesus, we're going to follow you. So, we've been here four whole months, and I've been saying yes. I just said, I'm just going to say yes to everything. Hank Irwin, who I met my second day here, invited me to Puckets. I said yes. I saw the email last week about having a speaker. I said, yes. If you start saying yes to Jesus, watch what happens. It's pretty fun. A couple quick examples. Next Friday, I'm going to be at Metro Davidson Correctional Facility. Johnny's coming in town from California, That that facility has 10 inmates whose job is to take wheelchairs we collect, old broken ones, they restore them, and then we send them out. We take them to 20 plus different countries. She's coming to encourage these guys. Governor Lee and his wife heard about this about a week ago, and and they said, hey, we'd love to come meet Johnny, and we'd love to encourage these uh, inmates. So I'm gonna be hanging out with Johnny and, and the governor and first lady next Friday. The following week, I'm going to be taking 150 wheelchairs to Guatemala, and we're going to give them to families who are desperately in need. They're getting pushed around in wheelbarrows, carried in blankets. I'm also working uh, on on a new retreat this summer in the Nashville area for combat veterans who suffer with PTSD and other disabilities, and their families to come for a week for a free camp. We want to just show and serve these precious families and show them the love of jesus and lastly personally my wife and i after not knowing anybody here i can tell you we just put an offer in on a house in franklin we're going to close next month i'm going to be a Franklinite, y'all so anyways i just want to uh, encourage you all to remember to follow daily he is so good seek and ask and have that courage. And I have to be reminded of this every day. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for inviting us to follow you. Give us the courage. Forgive us when, we, when we're weak, but just give us that courage to say yes. Thanks, y'all.
1: Thank you, Scott. I have a feeling we could keep going, but they have a restaurant to run, so we're gonna go in just a minute. Uh, when I think about Johnny Erickson, there is always one word that comes into my mind, and it is the word dignity. I have never met anyone who more embodies the word dignity than Johnny Erickson Tata. And at 16, when she had a diving accident in the Chesapeake Bay and became uh, disabled, it was the beginning, her choice, because God gives us a choice, it was her choice to, f- to do something with that that could help other people or to just kind of go into the, the dark hole that she was also being invited to go, go into. She chose the light. She chose to do something with it, and we're delighted, um, Scott, to have uh, Johnny and Friends' office here. Um, I, when you mention prison, my heart immediately goes to Nick Sutton, who will be executed tonight for um, horrible crimes that he has committed. He is a brother in Christ. Um, he is a part of the fellowship inside Unit 2 at Riverbend Prison, I asked you to lift him up. He's ready to go. Uh, would rather stay, but uh, let's let's pray for our brothers on death row. There's a community of life there that some of you are familiar with, and they are precious, precious to me. Um, thank you for a great morning, brothers. Thank you for those who shared. Thank you for the opportunity to be together. Let's intentionally build a beloved community here in the Franklin and, and middle Tennessee area. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Hey, new Canaan society podcast listeners. Thanks for
0: listening. Make sure to check out the video course mentioned at the beginning of this episode by John Mark Hicks and sign up a group of guys to go through this material about grief and suffering. Go to H I M slash NCS until next time.